Hi guys, I just want to hop on really quick and give you a trigger warning before this episode starts. Um, the episode centers on eating disorders, diet culture, fat phobia, and body dysmorphia. We talk about trauma, anxiety, and then there's a brief mention of sexual assault, which is time stamped in the notes. Um, next week's going to be my personal eating disorder journey, and then we're going to take a break from eating disorder content and switch it up a little bit. So if that's been triggering for you, don't worry, we'll have some different content soon. Um, other than that, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about diet culture and um, why diets don't work with Debbie Lesko. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm doing, thank you for having me here today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Debbie has an account called Diets Don't Work um, on Instagram, and um, I wanted to give you a little bit of space first to kind of explain your background, um, your, um, even if this is part of your career, if it's something you do on the side, what, what it is that you do and how that factors into your profile and your, the mission of that profile. Sure. I'd be happy to speak on that. Um, my account is diets don't work and I started it two years ago. I have suffered with an eating disorder for 57 years with anorexia for 57 years. And I finally found recovery with the last treatment center I entered in 2017. It's taken a little bit of time to get there. Um, a lot of work, a lot of hard work. But in 2019, I got real upset at all of the diet ads that came on at New Year's. And all of the pressure to make your resolution and go on another diet or do this fitness program. And I had to find a way to keep myself grounded and out of harm's way by going on another diet. Because I, I knew and I've been told, if you go on another diet, you're likely to not live through it. You know, your body won't handle, you may not have another recovery. And I've done this numerous times. This was the sixth treatment center that I was in here in Phoenix. And uh, so I went on this journey to research all these diets and why they don't work and what's wrong with them and all that. And I started making posts on my personal page on Facebook and people just loved it. People thought it was great. And I thought, okay, I'll make it into a page. And I did that on Facebook and it has grown tremendously, and we've got, oh, I don't know, 13,000 followers on Facebook alone, and then I have a special group that people can join and ask questions and share their experiences. But the Instagram account came in like June of 2019. Um, I went, okay, this is taking off on Facebook. I'm going to put it on Instagram. And as of today, today is, you know, um, oh, what is today? April 10th. Um, I have almost 60,000 followers on Instagram. And it's growing like 100 a day, 100 a week. And it's just amazing to me. 100 a day, actually. Um, so it started out as a very selfish venture. 
on my part. I mean, I had to find something to keep myself grounded and not start start on another diet. And it worked. And I, have, right. I can say that I am in recovery now. And I share that with everybody. I am 65 years old. It's been a long journey for me. And I think one of my major missions is, or passions, is to let people know there's hope for recovery, no matter how long you've had the illness, no longer how long you've had an eating disorder, no longer how long, no matter how long you had a mental disorder or illness, you can recover. It is possible. And it, um, that's how my eating disorders ties into this. This is just a side thing that I do. Um, my degree is in accounting. I've got a master's in accounting. and But when I got sick the last time with my last eating disorder, uh, with my last recovery, whatever, my last time, my last admission to the treatment center, I lost my job. And um, my company was extremely generous to me during all of the times that I would take off for going to treatment centers. They were fantastic. But the last time I couldn't go home, I was in treatment for a full year here in Arizona, and I couldn't go back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was living at the time. My family was here. I had a granddaughter here. And I just went, I can't. This is my support. They are my support. So I got to stay here. So I haven't worked since I left Pittsburgh. Um, I watch my grandchildren. There's now a, I have now have a grandson. And I watch them during the day. But my off time, not off time, my all day time is spent on Instagram and Facebook, replying to comments and, and questions and how can I get out of this and how can I, you know, what can I do? And I'm very quick to fight all the weight stigma that goes along with eating disorders and just healthy people. You know, it's like health, I, I propose the health at every, all right. Support the health at every size movement. Um, you, you can't tell what somebody is if by just looking at them. You can't tell if they're healthy or not. You know, you, you just don't know. And because of that, there's a lot of weight stigma that happens on everybody, whether or not they're extremely anorexic or extremely, they're, they're large. And, um, the weight stigma is a devastating thing happening in today's society. And that is what is making people go on diets and what is happening with the diet culture. The diet culture pro, uh, promotes this weight stigma because you got to be this size two person to be healthy and work out five times a week and only right. eat these certain foods. So I, that's where my platform stands is to fight the weight stigma and try to prevent people from going down the road of an eating disorder and not go down the road that I went down. And obviously I'm very passionate about stopping the young people from heading that road down. Yeah. So it's, it's for one, I love that you are showing 
that recovery can happen a little later in life because mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen that represented. Like now that I'm thinking back on it, um, I've seen people that are a little bit younger going to treatment centers and coming out of it, but the body positivity movement, the actual like movement that's calling out diet culture is relatively new. That's something Mm -hmm. that wasn't really around, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And so I have so many people in my life that are, um, you know, older and, you know, have much different views on their body and are so hard on themselves and have so much shame wrapped up in that. And I think a lot of us that are my age, we grew up with that in our households and we've Mm -hmm. seen our parents and our, you know, our moms and our aunts and like our mom's friends, like make jokes about their bodies. And like, we've watched that growing up. And luckily there's, there's honestly social media, but also social media is terrible at the same time. But there has been more talk and more honesty about how harmful diet culture is. Um, and you know, that's something that I, I didn't even know the term diet culture until I'm going to say like probably two or three years ago. Um, I'm the same way. I'm the same yeah, way. It's, a, I it's a newer term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that was me as well. Once, once I started to recover from, which I'd love to talk, even get your, um, insight a little bit because my experience is a little bit interesting and we'll go into that too. Cause I think that it, uh, kind of falls under the umbrella of what are eating disorders and there are kind of the classic ones, but then there are also a lot of ones that people don't really know about that right. they may be suffering from, but they haven't seen representation of it. Um, but I think the other thing that's really interesting is what you mentioned about new year's because I did not, I never noticed that until I started recovering. And then I was like really in the depths of like trying to be so intentional about it. And I remember like asking, I think my mom or a friend and I was like, what, what is up with all of these ads? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, no, they've always been there. Like that's intentional. Like it's, it's preying on people's new year's resolutions and they're even like the shame that a lot of times at new year's you eat a lot Mm -hmm. and you're at a party and then you wake up, you know, on the morning of the first and you see all these ads. And so it was bizarre because it had become something that I was, I'm sure I had seen them before. I'm positive I'd seen them before, sure. but like it didn't register in my brain that, cause it wasn't triggering to me because I was in it. <laughs> like I saw it and I was like, oh, I do need to go on a diet. <laughs> I didn't see it and think, oh God, oh God, I need to like, you know, shield my eyes from that. And like, I'm feeling really triggered cause I didn't, I, I was still very much so in the depths of it. Um, and I'd love to kind of go from that into, for those who don't know, for those who maybe are where you and I were before we started recovering, what is diet culture? And like, what does that entail? I am going to summarize it from what Christy Harrison uh, wrote about in her book, Anti-Diet. She gives a great definition of diet culture. And, and I'm right along with it. And it's, she says, it's a system of beliefs that worships thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, which means you can spend your whole life thinking you're irreparably, irreparably broken just because you don't look like the impossibly thin ideal. And then it also promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, which means you feel compelled to spend a massive amount of time, energy, and money 
trying to shrink your body, even though the research is very clear that almost no one can sustain intentional weight loss for more than a few years. The the, uh, percentage is 95 to 98% fail at diets. And then diet culture also demonizes a certain ways of eating while elevating others, which means you're forced to be hypervigilant about eating, ashamed of making certain food choices and distracted from your pleasure, your purpose and your power. And then it also oppresses people who don't match up with the supposed picture of health, which right. disproportionately harms women, femmes, trans folk, people in larger bodies, people of color, people with disability, damaging both their mental and physical health. And I think Christy says it just perfectly because it's just a system of beliefs and people don't even know they're involved in it. And exactly. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Know. It's it's ingrained in the same way as like the patriarchy. Yes, like literally, exactly. it's like it's it's the same kind of thing where it's like you don't even realize that you have the beliefs or that you even have these like internalized fat phobic thoughts about right. yourself or others. And then <laughs> That's right. just like you, just like as a woman, like so often, so many women um, or people who identify as women have, uh, you know, these thoughts about. Um, themselves, like misogynistic thoughts towards themselves, even though the thoughts that they're having are quite literally harming themselves. Mm-hmm. But misogyny is like so deeply bred into um, just our who we are. And I, I would honestly say that like, you know, homophobia, transphobia is also it's it's a lot of it is just so deeply bred into culture. Um, and even, you know, ableism and things like that. It's pretty much almost every toxic ideology that there is society just breeds it into you from day one, starting with your Barbies and your cute little picture books that only show skinny, straight white people. Right. Right. (laughs) And you're that are always able bodied. And it's like, okay, I'm confused. Like this is not what the world looks like. Yes. And it is the fat phobia, which started out as a very racist, uh, beginning. It has a very racist beginning. Uh, Sabrina strings book, um, Fearing the Black Woman as just tell details it very well how to how it got from racism to fat phobia and just fearing the black people, fearing you know the black women who were coming in as slaves and they were the ones that were larger and people got fearful of them because they were slaves and it was so they put them down and it just started it started that way and then then the black then the fat phobia started in with that because the black people coming in as slaves were typically fat and so anybody who was fat just was probably lazy and didn't have the money right. and didn't or have inferior or whatever mm-hmm. exactly so well and it, it's so it's ridiculous too because the the body positivity movement was also spearheaded by people of color and yeah. like indigenous folk and yet once again somehow white women have co-opted that movement and now they get almost sole response like they get sole responsibility for like starting it and making it famous and like you know and it's also been twisted where I'm I'm someone who I, I think that there's so much competitive nature in everything, unfortunately. Um, 
And I'm not anyone to ever, I'm not someone to ever say, um, you know, there's a lot of body positivity posts where someone who would be traditionally seen as normal sized or thin, um, is showing like their roles and saying like, this is normal. And I'm not anybody to ever say that you should not be able to do that with your own body. Um, I think for me, like posting more bikini photos and posting more photos where I'm in an angle where my body is not like perfectly straight and angled correctly has been very healing for me. But at the same time, it's like, make sure you're also elevating the voices Mm -hmm. of the people who started this and also voicing the, you know, elevating the voices of people who are fat and not just people who are, you know, like average sized or even thinner and are, you know, trying to, you know, spearhead the movement. It's not your movement to spearhead. It's not. You can, of course, you can support it and you can learn from it and you can heal from it. Because I think the other thing is that there are a lot of people who would be considered average size or thinner that struggle from a lot of body dysmorphia and have really severe eating disorders. It is, it's, it, it hits everybody across the board. Yes, So it's not, it's, you know, it's affecting you too, but you also have to be cautious of how you're promoting that and who you're putting at the front of it. I don't ever want to discount people who have recovered into a straight sized body. I mean, I understand right. that is just as traumatic to them as it is for me who has recovered in a fat body. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. But when you start showing saying it is the same thing as being fat oppressed, that's where exactly. I have difficulty because exactly. being small You still get to go into stores and buy clothes. You still get to go on an airplane. You still get to go in theaters without having fear that you're not going to be accommodated for. So I want to see the fat stigma, the fat phobia stopped where, or the weight stigma and everybody be accommodated. I know they say, I, I get so much throwback on my posts sometimes because I'm promoting obesity, which I don't even like that word because there is no such thing. Um, but they come back to me and saying, well, you know, if you would just lose weight, you wouldn't have to ask for larger seats and you would be able to get on a plane and all and it's not possible. Our bodies have a set point and it is there. It is the body's determination where we're supposed to be at. I happen to be on diets from the time I was eight years old till I was 61 years old. So my body says, I don't know when she's going to feed me. So I better add up the, add up the weight and my metabolism has been messed with. And so now I'm fat and this is the body I got to recover in. But I don't want to discount those people who have recovered into straight size because going from very tiny to straight size, that's hard. I mean, yeah. Or even going from, um, uh, straight, like normal average size. I hate the word normal. I don't really know a better term. I guess average would be kind of the, and even that's, I know even that's icky. There's not really great language for it, honestly, but if you're in a, I don't know, mid-sized body and you, um, recover to almost the same body. Mm-hmm. Like I have had my, my journey was the main reason why I didn't feel like I could claim it or claim the title of having eating disorder. Or I felt, mm-hmm. um, kind of this like imposter syndrome surrounding having that as a part of right. my story 
was the fact that you would never in a million years look at me and think that I was struggling with food or with uh, restricting my food intake or even just the obsession about, oh, I just ate this. Now I can't eat this. Oh, I can't eat this because it has too many calories. Oh, I just ate this and now I need to go work out three times. Like there was a constant like cycle going on in my head. And now I think I'm basically right in the middle between my like lowest weight and my highest weight. And the biggest, and I don't know, I don't, that may be inaccurate. I haven't weighed myself in like a year and a half. So (laughs) who knows? Um, but the last time I weighed myself, I was in the middle. I don't know now. Um, and I don't care to know, but, um, yeah, it was just something where like I, and that's how I am with most of the things that have happened in my life, traumas, anything. I just have a severe imposter syndrome where anytime I'm like, uh, you know, oh, I'm a part of this community that I'm like, oh, no, I'm not because I don't fit all the qualifications of this community. <laughs> like, right? I'm not allowed to be in this community. But even going back to, you know, honoring and acknowledging fat oppression, you can even go to like healthcare. I mean, oh. I've heard so many stories of people going into a doctor. And this is something that I think that there's a similarity between fat phobia and racism in healthcare offices is people aren't trusted with their own intuition yep. and with saying something is wrong. I need you to listen to me. Yep. And I just had someone on where we were talking about, um, she's a black individual and how she was not believed by her doctor and there really was something wrong. And that's something that often happens in, um, individuals lives who are, uh, you know, considered overweight by like a medical scale. Yes. And then they are told, oh, well, lose weight. And then like, come back to me and let me know if your medical issues are fixed. (laughs) And you know, that happens all the time with anybody of a larger size. You walk in with a sore throat and you're told to lose weight. You walk in with a stubbed toe and you're told lose weight. And and it's all based off of the stupid BMI chart that oh my has god no bearing at all and it's just I hate the BMI like with it it, it was the start mm-hmm. of my eating disorder oh yes. no kidding like i literally had i wasn't allowed to have wee as a kid mm-hmm. and my friend had wee sports and i i was probably 7 years old and i remember going up to the wee sports and they make you put in your weight and your height and in front of a ton of friends, it was like multiple people at my friend's house. I'm right. seven years old. It says oh. obese. Oh my. Because it calculates your BMI and it says obese, like across the screen. At- I was seven. And not only was I seven, I was tiny. Yes. Like tiny. And I was a dancer and I was like highly athletic. And I was also just a smaller kid. Like I was like, I wasn't in any way even someone that you would even like that would uh, classify as someone that is heavier in any way. And so it was terrifying too, because it's like, think about how low they're putting that label on people. Like I was like, I was a very small child and putting that label on me puts me in a position where I think I need to lose weight, which literally can like negatively affect my health absolutely. because I was, I was too small to be losing weight. I was also way too young. Yes. <laughs> no seven year old needs to be like on a diet. And 
that was like what sparked it. I don't even think I had a, a, I don't even think I had any insecurity about my weight really. I had insecurity about my butt because I had a bigger butt. And my earliest memory of body insecurity is I was five years old and I was in a dance class and I had on little spandex shorts and the girl in my dance class was like, your butt's so big. Like your butt, why is your butt so big in front of everybody? And that was the first thing I remember is just like, okay, cool. I now hate myself. Yes. (laughs) And bless my mom because, um, she, I came home and I was insecure and it was also the time where bigger butts were not in style. <laughs> this was like early 2000s. So we've got like Britney and like, you know, people with really low, low rise jeans. And like, you know, you're just supposed to be kind of stick skinny. And <laughs> I came home and I was like, oh, I hate myself. And I was so little. I mean, I was, I was five years old. That's so young. And my mom's response was, do you know who JLo is? And I was like, No. And she was like, Jennifer Lopez, like Jennifer Lopez is known for having a booty. Uh And I was like, oh, and my mom was like, people pay money for that booty. People (laughs) buy butt pads for that booty and you have it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so like rock that booty. And I was five years old and I was like, I have JLo booty. (laughs) And that became like a little point of pride for me as a five-year-old was like, I have a booty. Look at me like woohoo. And it wasn't like a comparative thing. It was just like, I took pride in something that I had on my body. Um, but I mean, hi, like the BMI is taught to kids that young, even in PE classes and things like Mm -hmm. that. It's, you're so young. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I, I mean, we're we're working with younger and younger children all the time, and they keep. Um, as far as I'm concerned, nobody under 18 should really be on a diet because their bodies are still growing and still yeah. developing, and you're. I mean, you're still reaching into yourself, and and the schools are promoting dieting and losing weight, and you know, and weighing these kids in front of other people, other kids. So traumatic. And children can be really cruel. You know, it's just, it's such a shame. You know, my, my granddaughter is nine and she is a swimmer and she swims a lot. So she's got some muscle on her. She's on a junior Olympic team. So she's got some muscle because she swims a lot. And, but she's been told to go on a diet, you know, because other kids have said, do you know what a diet is? You know, and she came home one day from school and asked her mom what a diet was. I mean, granted, I was grateful that she was eight years old before she actually knew what a diet was, but right. she had been told and it, it's starting way too early. You know, they it's say, so, and it gets earlier and earlier too. It just keeps getting scarier. That, that. 25 to 40% of six to eight year olds want to be on a diet. That's crazy. I I saw that statistic. I did a report on anorexia Mm -hmm. in college and I remember we presented and we read that statistic in front of the class and our entire class was like, (gasps) and we even did an exercise where it was like, how many of you like thought that you were not the right weight as a child and like the entire class raised their hands. And like we had, you know, we had people of all different sizes, shapes, uh, ages, heights. Like uh, there was, it was a, not like a uniform classroom. Every single person was like, yeah, no, like I didn't like myself. (laughs) Right. It's just across the board. 
And 25% of the people who go on a diet turns into a diet, uh, turns into an eating disorder. That's a pretty high percentage, you know, because that, I mean, being on a diet was how I kept my eating disorder hidden for most of my adult life. I was doing what everybody else was doing. We were going on the low fat diet or we were going on the shake diet, or we were doing Weight Watchers or whatever. I was doing what everybody else in my generation was doing at the time. Right. Nobody thought anything of it until I was alone. I had gotten divorced and my kids were gone. And, you know, it was like, I realized, wait a minute, there's something wrong here and started seeing right. a therapist when I was diagnosed with anorexia. So it, it's ridiculous. It's so, especially I think, in individuals your age, it was not only normalized, it was like a cute quirk where it was like, oh, me and all my friends are like going on this diet. And it was like, it was like a, it was like a social event. Like it Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like normalized. It was like something that you did with your friends and something that was like, oh, we're all going on Weight Watchers together. And it's interesting because it's shifted Mm -hmm. um, for my generation because I, like I remember when I was younger, there was Weight Watchers, there was Nutrisystem, there was the Atkins diet, there was South Beach diet, and I know all of these because I've you've tried them all. I've I've tried them slash like been a part of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was in my household, and so then it was kind of just something that I also engaged in, right? Um, which lo and behold, I later found out that I have an aspartame allergy. Which is an an allergy to like fake sugar. That's right. And so for the entire time that I would take, you know, eat Adkins bars or eat South Beach diet bars or because that was a big thing for me was like bars was like, I'll eat a bar for lunch and like Mm -hmm. that will be my my meal. And I didn't know that wasn't like a normal slash okay thing until I was an adult. Um, And I was allergic to aspartame. So then I would have like stomach pains and like be really sick for the entire day. And like me just having like gastrointestinal distress for the entire day was just normal because <laughs> I was like, oh, this is just yes. a part of being pretty. <laughs> like That's right. I just literally like am, I can't I can't function because my stomach hurts so bad. Um, but now we've got like, you know, the detox teas. And which are literally just poop yourself teas. That's right. Um, right. And then we've got like, even not to hate on Peloton, but even the Peloton cult, it's a cult. (laughs) There's literally so many people now where it's like this really cool hip thing. And it's almost not to, not to crap on people if they like to, you know, cycle. I love cycling. I think it's really fun. But for people who have any background in, um, you know, eating disorder tendencies or having body dysmorphia. And I'm speaking from personal experience on this. It is so wildly hard to exercise and to get into like a workout program without having your intention be, I need to lose weight or I need to be more fit. Mm -hmm. Um, where I like, I just recently started exercising again. I purposely don't say working out because it like that, then that ties it to getting fit. Um, and I had to be so intentional about like, I do a dance program because mm-hmm. I love dancing and I danced for a really long time and I don't associate that with losing weight. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, I'm dancing because it's fun. I'm not dancing because I need to lose weight. I'm not dancing because I think I need to be healthier. I'm dancing because it's fun and it's a really good release of energy 
And it does help my mental state to have a release of energy. And that's the only reason why I'm doing it. And I have to keep saying that to myself. Oh, I know. Because now that I have access to a workout platform, like even I'll literally give an example today. And this is, I think, part of where the constant healing process comes in. Um, I was driving and I was like, I really want Jack in the box, which I almost never eat fast food. And that's more so because I have a lot of allergies. It's not as much a weight thing. It's, I just can't eat very much. Um, and I got fries and I'm driving home and I realized really quickly that I didn't want to eat them in the car. Cause I didn't want anyone to see that I was eating fries. Oh my. And I was like, Ooh, that's not a great thing to be thinking. And then as I'm eating them, I was like, okay, am I going to work out today? And I was like, ooh, I don't normally have those thoughts. Like we haven't had those thoughts in a long time because I just stopped working out because I would have those thoughts every time I worked out. And so I was like, okay, if we're going to exercise today, it needs to be very intentional that I'm doing it for to dance. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can't get this thought out of my head that I'm doing it to lose weight, we will not exercise today. We're skipping it. Good for you. <laughs> We're not doing Good it. Because I'm like, great. I'm not going to have that be my motivation because I ate fries. Like, right. no, <laughs> that's so bad. So I like literally was planning on exercising after we got off this call. And I was like, ooh, maybe we, know, maybe we don't do that today because mm-hmm. that might end up being more harmful than it is helpful. Yes. And people don't realize that, you know, how, I mean, I did the same thing. I was very, uh, ex- exercised ran I was in the gym for two hours a day before I went to work and then you know ran and did 5k's 10k's half marathons whatever I mean I mean I was very active and when I got out of treatment I was talking to the dietitian I said I want to go for a run I want to I want I want to run I want to run no you may take a 30 minute small walk you know a regular paced walk and that was all they would allow me to do. And now it's you know, that four years later, my body has gotten old. <laughs> it has decided that, no, it's not going to let me do any of the exercise that I really want to do, like going for a run. I've, I've got rheumatoid arthritis, so my body has kind of shut me down as far as working out. But I get on a bike and I go bike riding with my granddaughter. and. But again, it's not to lose weight. And that's what it was for so many years. I was just going to the gym. I was just running so that I would lose weight. And now on the basis of intuitive eating, which is what I promote, is there's an aspect of that that is gentle movement. You need to incorporate some kind of gentle movement, but it has to be fun and it has to be deliberate that you're doing it just for fun and not to lose weight. So I mean, I know there is a endorphin that comes about by working, working out or exercising Exercising, or whatever. I know there is, and you can still get it, you know? I dance in the living room with my grandkids, you know, we just, mm-hmm. we just dance, put the music on and dance around. And that's fun to me. I'm not doing it to lose weight. Not now, not anymore. You know, four years ago, I would have been, but right. it, it has to be taken out of the picture, you know, for it, for full eating disorder recovery, you need to drop the idea of exercising or compensating for what you eat. 
It yeah. doesn't happen. That was, that was why I stopped. I stopped for like a good like three years because yep. I was like, I cannot do this Mm-mm. without because I went my my whole journey. I mean, I've been struggling with eating disorder tendencies, and honestly, I've never been diagnosed. But I think that if I ever got diagnosed, it would qualify as an eating disorder from like a very young age. Um, which we're working on that. Um, <laughs> getting a diagnosis. I'm working on getting a diagnosis for everything, but unfortunately, like psyche valves are very hard to come by. Um, so I, I, I had an experience where I lost like. 60 pounds in like four months. Uh-huh. And I did so as a 15 year old. Oh my. Um, yeah. By losing, like by, I was working out like two to three times a day. And, um, after that, like I really had to stop because I really loved like the workout culture and like the cute workout clothes that I could wear. <laughs> and I, I like all the accessories to things. So it was like, okay, well now I'm going to do like a detox water because like that's part of the culture. And like, oh, well now I'm going to like, oh, I have this cute gym bag. And so I'm going to go to the gym. And it was just like, it just, it snowballed and snowballed. And for me, like the replacement of that, that I started engaging in, let's see, maybe I, this all happened when I was 15. And I think I worked out for a little afterwards because I was unaware that it was an issue. Right. Um, but like mid college time ish, mm-hmm. I started doing yoga because I was like, this is like, calming. It's not high intensity. At least the yoga classes that I was doing, it was like centered on like wellness and like mental health compared <laughs> to centered on what does your body look like. And I even had to be careful about that because I found that like going into classes and seeing really thin fit people mm-hmm. made me feel like the fat one. And then I was right. like, oh, I can't be here. So I even had to do a lot of it at home. Yeah. And I still stand by that. I hate going into a gym. It makes me so insecure instantly. So I do anything at home, but I started doing like, especially during quarantine, like online yoga classes right? Um, that were literally centered on, I just need, we're all stressed and we're all having a hard time. That's and right. the, the goal of this is just to release and like, even the way that our teacher, which I'll tag my teacher because I met her via Instagram and I love her and she's great. Shout out to Amanda. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, she always centered it on like, you know, if you have anxious thoughts, like acknowledge them and let them pass. It wasn't like, let's get our bodies healthy. <laughs> it was yes. like our brains are overwhelmed and this movement of our body is going to help our brains. And so that's something that I tend to like recommend with people if they're trying to get back into moving their bodies is starting in something where a lot of the yoga focus is like mind and soul compared to like, what does my body look like? And that is something that is also within intuitive eating is getting in touch with your body. And yoga tends to help you get in touch with your body because with intuitive eating, you're learning to listen to the body cues. When are you hungry? When are you full? What is your signs? You know, do you have a headache? Do you have, are you, uh, having muscle aches, not necessarily the grumbling tummy when you're hungry, but there's a lot of other signs, uh, hidden signs that you're hungry, but it's a matter of getting in touch with your body, learning how to get in touch with your body. And yoga definitely helps that. And with my platform on Instagram, I've got lots of fitness trainers or health, uh, exercise 
people who are trainers, but also do it from a health at every size program, you know, or they do it with the, the platform of health at every size and they're adapting things for people of larger bodies and saying, this is what we need to do. And the same with yoga, you know, there, it is better at home. I have to admit the same thing because I hate going into gyms. My gosh, I have a it's friend. It's so anxiety provoking. I hate it. I have a friend who leads a spinning class at a local gym and I love it. I mean, I love going and she is health at every size intuitive eating. She's also recovered from an eating disorder. I love her and I go, but I get so self-conscious because yeah. I'm in a gym. I'm in one of the big popular gyms here. And I mean, uh, people are just looking at me going, what is she doing here? Is she trying to lose weight? Is this a good thing? Or is this a bad thing? It's, oh, I hate it. <laughs> it's just like, it's like trigger central. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes, I mean, I even apply this to other aspects of my life where there is trauma. Like if there is a specific space where there are too many triggers I don't try to force myself to go in that space. Right. And I think that trauma and triggers, um, I'm a sexual assault survivor. And um, after my assault and after my investigation, I remember trying to force myself to go into my assaulter's place of work to like prove to myself that he didn't have an effect on me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was with my partner at the time and my partner was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I was like, yes, it is. I can do it. And we went in and like, we bought something. We walked out and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and he was like, yeah. So like, that wasn't a good idea. Like we shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, for me, it's like, I feel almost the same way with gyms where Mm -hmm. I will like try to prove to myself, I can go into this gym and I can be fine and I can like not be insecure and just like worry about my own, like stuff that I'm doing. And then I'm, I walk in and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, there's no need for me to be here. I don't need to be here. Like you don't, you don't need to force yourself to go into spaces that you know are going to be triggering to you. There's no one to prove it to. You don't need to prove it to anybody. Like just remove those spaces from your life in all aspects of trauma. If there's any space that like is super traumatizing to you, you really don't need, unless it's like a necessary thing where you have to kind of relearn how to like <laughs> enter that space. If you can avoid it and it it lessens your anxiety, exposure therapy is not always the way to go. <laughs> like Sometimes you just need to not enter those spaces. Oh, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And that is what some of this diet culture tries to force on people to do is to face your fears and go at it and, you know, no. Hustle. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And It's so, also just like not – like you don't need to always face your fears. <laughs> like you no. Can, you can avoid them sometimes. It's okay. Obviously, I'm not encouraging like entire disassociation or avoidance, but like you yes. don't always have to confront everything that you're afraid of. Fear is there for a reason. Right. And – Fear is a biological response. Yes, and it is. Your body is intelligent. Like mm-hmm. if you're same thing as like if there's like a scary situation going on in an alley, you don't need to confront it. Walk away. <laughs> like <laughs> we don't need to walk up. I'm facing my fears. No, you're putting yourself in danger. Like those are two very different things. Yes, they and are. they don't always align up. Like it, sure. it's not always something that's healthy. But I'd even love to go into. I know we touched on intuitive eating, and for 
people who don't know what that is or even like being present in your own body when it comes to food and being more mindful about food, which kind of ties into the whole center of this podcast. Um, how would you describe like, you know, food mindfulness and intuitive eating? Intuitive eating is a set of 10 principles that allows all foods and removes the food police so that nothing is off limits. And I have to, because I have to go back a little bit here. I said, you don't have to face your fear. When it comes to food, I'm going to tell you, face your fear. If you are afraid yeah, of peanut point. butter, <laughs> I want you to face the peanut butter. If you're afraid of cookies and, and whatever, I want you to face that fear. Right, that, right. When it comes to food, yes, face your fear. And that's what intuitive eating does too. And intuitive eating, you're, you are removing the food police. The people who say, this is bad for you and this is bad for you and this is bad for you. No, all food has nutritional value. All food. And you have to get rid of that mentality of this is harmful to my health. No, everything is good. You, I mean, and your body is going to adapt and it will say, oh, I know what to do with that piece of cake. Or if you eat the whole cake, I know what to do with that whole piece of cake. That whole right, cake. right. I mean, and it's, it's hard to get to because society again or diet culture again says oh no you shouldn't have chips in the house if you're going to binge on them just keep them out of the house or you shouldn't have ice cream in the house because you're going to sit there and you're going to eat the whole thing guess what so what if you want to eat the whole container of ice cream eat it it eventually will you will eventually get tired of it and you won't be binging on it the biggest um cause of binging is deprivation Restriction. I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was just gonna say, the more you restrict something, the more that you're gonna hyper focus on it. You know, and I think about that as far as last year with the when we went to lockdown, you couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. I mean, around here, you couldn't find it anywhere because people were afraid of not being able to get it, so they bought up a whole bunch. And the same right. thing goes with food. You know, you right. tell yourself you can't have something, and then one day you're just gonna go. Oh, I got to have it and I got to eat it and I got to eat it all, you know. And But if you have it all the time, then <laughs> there's no issue. And then it also talks about food scarcity. And we start talking about some of the societal problems with food. You can't eliminate these people who don't have access to food. They don't have right. access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Some people do, some people don't. You're, you're, and you're telling them not to eat processed food. It's not possible. It, they yeah. don't have the, the funds. They don't have the availability. They don't have, but so. It's so harmful. Eating, it's so mm-hmm. harmful. Yeah, it is. It's, it's talking about ableism and we got that going right there you know with people saying well you can't eat this that or the other thing well that's the only thing they've got available all they have is fast food available their body's going to respond to it even convenience like even if you go to either um right you know disabled individuals who might not have all of the resources or access to be able to cook a long homemade meal that takes a very long time to make right there's a convenience factor there or if you go to someone who, you know, a mom who has five kids and yes. is working multiple jobs, like 
she's not going to have the time to make this like huge organic homemade meal. And often not, she won't have the funds either. Right. And then if you go into a lot of these, for those of you who are listening and don't know like what food scarcity is, um, basically it's like rooted in this idea of like food deserts where certain areas, um, and certain populations will not only not have enough money to buy good organic, um, more like, you know, nutrition filled food. Um, but then in addition, a lot of those areas literally don't even have access to it. And so some of that could be like the only stores within, you know, a few miles of these neighborhoods are, you know, fast food joints or, uh, you know, uh, grocery stores that don't have organic sections. Um, so it's not even just not having the money. It's also the access is removed right. and that's, that's intentional on the side of like, you know, these larger corporations is mm-hmm. they, they, you, there are often when you go into, uh, often neighborhoods are like low income neighborhoods where the entire neighborhood is often suffering from the same, like, you know, financial crisis. And so there's strategy there where it's mm-hmm. like, well, they have less money. So we're going to put a McDonald's here and a, you know, a Taco Bell here and this and this and that, and that's all cheap. And so you're, you're setting, they, they, it's setting people up to only have access to that. Right. But then like you said, when then you only preach, oh, the only way to be healthy is to do like whole 30 organic. It's like you, there's, there's a complete, you overlook a mass portion of the population. Absolutely either doesn't have the access to that, literally like can't even find it in their stores or doesn't have the funds or doesn't have the time or the availability or whatever. And you're just basically deeming all of those people as you're unhealthy and you have no way to ever be healthy. (laughs) They're dumping shame on these people. Yeah. Which is something that like it's, it's systemic. You can't, it's not like one family that lives in a low income household can entirely switch around the system. Like the system is built to put them at a disadvantage. And that's where the weight stigma comes in again, because they shame people who don't have this, that, or the other thing. And because you don't have that, you are going to be fat forever. And you, and you just have to live with it. And you are an unhealthy, unhealthy person. And it comes, Shame never motivated anybody to do anything. It's not. Right. It's just. It's just harmful. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then to add into, um, you know, if you are, if you only have access to certain amounts of food, and so you end up gaining weight, and now we can even go further into that, where now <laughs> you are put in a position where you have less rights and you have less right. access to healthcare. And so then it just keeps putting these people at a disadvantage and yes. it's disproportionately affecting, often disproportionately affecting people of color. Yes. Um, and think about it. Like we just talked about how, you know, black individuals often have a hard time with uh, healthcare because people don't believe them. And right. there's just this like inferiority complex on the side of like doctors and black patients. But then if you add in being a fat black person, now you've got like a, a double whammy there where you have two different aspects of who you are that are going to have – doctors are not going to you know take you as seriously or trust you or right. give you the right care. Mm-hmm. And so 
it, it really is just this like systemic beast where it just keeps cycling, keeps cycling. Um, and I will actually tag in this episode, um, I'm located in Seattle and, um, there's actually a Seattle by POC organic food bank, um, run by a guy named Wes, who is fantastic. Um, and he, he's lovely. I was able to kind of chat with him and try to uh, interact with him a little bit over the summer. And, um, I'll tag him and all of his stuff because his whole goal, we talked for a long time about food deserts and his whole goal is like, we're providing free organic food. Wow. So that there, there's access to it. And it's not just because even food banks, if you go to food banks, what do people get rid of? People get rid of their little boxes of mac and cheese yep, or their hamburger helper yep, and things that people could have already found in the Walmarts in their communities compared to like, mm-hmm. if you go to a food bank and you have the money to donate to a food bank, ask them what they need and donate produce and donate meat oh, and yes. donate, donate organic goods. Like that's the stuff that there isn't as much access to. So you just tossing your expired can of soup, right? <laughs> you're not really helping anyone. No. You're just feeding into this inferiority complex where because mm-hmm. people have less money, less access, less whatever, they're inferior to you. And right. so they deserve this like lower grade level of nutrition, which is just not helpful. No. And it, it, it's, it is so prevalent in our society. I, they, people would be surprised at how much people, that how, how widespread it is. I mean, it really is. We're not talking about, you know, a measly 5, 10% of our population. We're talking more on the 40 to 50% side of our population yeah. that have difficulty with providing for their family. And, and that was a made up number in my head. I don't know what the actual number is, but I know it's, it's probably, probably, it's probably higher. <laughs> yes. That's what I was it's pretty high. I mean, yeah, come on, you know, they don't have it. And so, you know, it's hard to, to, to do this diet culture and keep up with society's idea of what I should look like when I don't even have the funds to feed my family correctly. You know, that's just ridiculous, you know? Right. So, yeah. And I'd love to even anyway. go into, this is a horrible segue and I apologize, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of a pun and I think it's kind of funny. So I'm going to do it anyways. Okay. I just said, keep up. And I want to transition into keeping up with Kardashians. Um, <laughs> Cause you said keep up and I was like, Ooh, diet culture. That's a yes. great little segue there. So for time stamping wise, we are, it is April 10th. This episode is not going to come out until like September. Um, but it's April 10th. And for cultural context, we are three to four days after the entire thing with Khloe Kardashian and her edited photo and her re-releasing a statement. And (laughs) I'd love to touch on that because I think that there's, we're talking about things being systemic and things being kind of bred into culture. And it, I, I, and this might just be kind of like the empathetic person in me, but like, I think that there's everyone loves to be very black or white with the way that they approach problems. And there's so much nuance when it comes to social media and social media influencers and diet culture, because in reality, society is what placed those insecurities into their head to make them have this like massive amount of body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. to feel like they need to promote these products and to use them themselves. 
And so I think there's a huge need to hold people accountable for that because so I much of what totally influencers agree. have have done has like probably ruined people's lives and their their view of themselves. Right. But simultaneously, like my heart broke for her. It just made me so sad. And I was like, that is a beautiful photo of you. And it breaks my heart that in your head, it's not. Right. And that just made me so sad for her. And she's been just the scapegoat of so much criticism over the years. And it must be so hard to, and I'm also not trying to play the whole card of like pity the Kardashians because (laughs) I know they have a lot of privilege, but imagine like being in the public eye and like always being like just torn apart for your weight. And then you finally get thin and now you're being torn apart again. And you're thinking, wait, I'm like, I did it. I got thin and now I'm helping other people get thin because that's the way that you save people's lives. And like, that's how you help as you get people thin and I'm making money. Like this is ideal. And you've got the situation where it's just like, it's a vicious cycle. And so I'd love to kind of dive into that a little bit and just media and how does media perpetuate diet culture? You know what? That's one of the things I tell people a lot in when they're like, how do I break free from this? What do I do? And I'm very quick to say, clean up your social media, get rid of all of the thin ideals, get rid of, you know, anybody who is is promoting diets or teas or whatever they want to do or exercise programs or whatever. Find the people who are promoting intuitive eating or health at every size, clean up your social media to show influencers like me and others like me and you know something that's going to help you see who you are every day and keep you from turning into that ridiculous ideal that is very unhealthy and just you don't need people like yes Khloe Kardashian has amount a great amount of privilege and she's done a lot of things and it is it is sad that she took this picture and criticized herself because somebody didn't edit the picture before they posted it. That that's think about how much torture that has to be on her. Uh, it's gotta be, it's gotta be horrible. I mean, and this is what she lives for. You know, this is her whole personality is to, or her whole purpose, uh, her whole purpose is her body and what she looks like and all of that. We need, that's what we need to get rid of. I'm sorry. That needs to be gotten rid of. She is, is key person right now because of all the publicity around her at the moment, but there's so many others. And I don't, I don't know who they are because I have cleaned up my media. Yeah. (laughs) I only have, you know, the good stuff on my media. Occasionally on Facebook, I will get ads or uh, promotions for joining this gym or get on this diet. And I immediately report them to Facebook as a scam. So, but um, you really need to work at keeping your social media cleaned up because social media is where it all starts. It is my granddaughter who is who is nine, but she's on YouTube. She's on 
all the beers and we try to watch what she's on, but mm-hmm. she still sees that stuff. And it starts that young. I mean, she's been playing on iPads since she was very little, but um, she's seen it. It's and, scary. Mm-hmm, and we need to get rid of that. We will never clear it out. So my, my key word is if you want off that train, Start right. cleaning up your social media. Get people who promote the ideals and the values that you stand for and right. get rid of all of that other stuff. It's not not worth your health. Right. And I mean, I agree with you that it's I don't think it'll ever be entirely gone on no. like it's it, it's always going to exist and I think especially with how much money there is in it. I mean, there was money in it back when it was Weight Watchers right. and there's way more money in it now because it's you can do ads and you can do all this crap where it's everywhere. Um, but I, I I can't agree with you more on that. That was one of the first things that I did was I was yes. following people who would post about these teas and these workout programs. And even, and this is just honestly a me thing that at the beginning, when I followed a lot of really thin people who posted a lot of photos of mm-hmm. their bodies, yes. I had to unfollow them and it wasn't yes. anything personal against them or against their bodies or their journey. And it wasn't even that they were necessarily doing anything wrong or perpetuating diet culture. They were just living their lives. But being constantly exposed to that was something that I could not handle. Yeah. Like in my personal journey. Um, And I still have to kind of monitor that. If I have friends, um, even recently I had a friend that I saw, they were starting like a workout program and they were posting a lot of updates about like, you know, photos of their Fitbit and how many calories they'd burned. And I was like, I can't, like, I can't see that. And it might be totally fine for you. And I, I like it, it, it just, I couldn't. And even with, I have an Apple watch and I turned off my fitness Mm -hmm. thing on my Apple watch because it started updating me and saying like, this is how many calories you've burned. And I was like, ah, stop. I don't want to know that. that. Right. So I literally set my daily calorie goal at like burning like one calorie a day. So that once (laughs) I hit my goal, it just like, won't tell me anything. Cause I was like, I'm only burning one calorie. I love that. Cause it it doesn't let you turn it off. So I literally was like, I'm just going to set my goal like really low. Um, but that's like even why I like couldn't get a Fitbit and why I got an Apple watch. Cause I was like, I can't just see my like workout stats all the time. And it's also why I don't wear my Apple watch when I'm exercising. Cause I'm like, I don't want to know anything. Don't tell me, please don't tell right. me. I don't want to know. Right. But right. yeah, I, I don't think that it's something that, and I think that goes for a lot of things, mm-hmm. even with like healing from religious trauma, oh you gotta unfollow a lot of people who are religious. <laughs> like Anything that you kind of are healing from, I think it is really hard to heal from it when you're still in the midst of it. And I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I think that it just, it's unnecessarily difficult. Like if you don't need to be putting yourself in that space, it's just going to make it harder for you to heal. If you're just constantly being exposed to things that were traumatic. Right. Um, and I think the other thing that I wanted to get into, which we touched on at the very beginning, but I wanted to circle back to, um, was the perception of eating disorders, because I think that from a cultural perspective, even in like TV shows, you kind of have the like anorexic girl and you have the bulimic girl and that's kind of (laughs) it. Um, and so I wanted to chat a little bit about other eating disorders, like even like orthorexia and just like diet fixation, because 
I didn't know the word orthorexia until like six months ago. And I was like, Oh, I think that that might be me. <laughs> Cause yeah. that was part of the reason why I could never feel comfortable enough to classify myself as having an eating disorder was because I was like, and that was also, and here's the key, because I think this is where it gets really toxic. For one, you don't have tools to help yourself, right? If you don't know what's out there and what you may right. be experiencing. For two, the lack of conversation around eating disorders that aren't anorexia and bulimia, even mm-hmm. though there's not a lot of conversation around those, they're kind mm-hmm. of the only two that are like known. Right. Um, it also makes you be able to excuse your eating disorder as not being an eating disorder because it's not anorexia and it's not bulimia. Right. I used to tell people on a daily basis, oh, I love food too much. I could never be anorexic. (laughs) And it was literally like my go-to thing because I would have people be like, oh, have you eaten? And like, I wouldn't eat, but I wasn't like, I wasn't starving myself, quote unquote, because I would eat during the day. And I think people view anorexia as like, you don't eat for three weeks straight. Right. Oh, And so I viewed it as like, oh, well, I ate today. Mm-hmm. And I would always joke like, oh, I love burgers. Like uh, I could never have an eating disorder. Ha ha ha. Meanwhile, I was eating like a meal a day and working out three times a day and doing detoxed waters. But I was like, oh, I don't have an eating disorder. Right. Because I'm I'm eating and I'm not throwing up. Oh, my gosh, I'm not throwing up. I'm fine. Yeah. And so I'd love to get into that a little bit and just what the other Mm -hmm. sorts are and then kind of how to recognize them slash even how to get help because that's something that I don't have experience with. I never got – I've been in therapy, but I've never gotten like professional treatment. So I think that would be great as well to talk about and just give a little bit of insight to people who maybe feel like they need to seek treatment. I will definitely send you some links for services that can get you help, where to get help yes. at, yes. Um, so that we can add it to the show notes. Um, but there's more than just two eating eating disorders. Um, one, yes, anorexia and bulimia are probably the most well-known, but there's also binge eating disorder. There's the orthorexia and there's ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive intake food disorder where people are very selective and they will only eat this. They will only eat pasta or they will only eat certain things. I was in treatment with a young lady who would never touch a fruit or a vegetable. She would, you know, burgers were fine and all that. And it took so much for her to take a bite of an apple. I mean, it was horrible. I felt so bad for her, but that was ARFID. And then there is the anorexia, but anorexia looks nothing like most people think it does. I mean, it is not the upper class white teenager who has anorexia. I had anorexia. I am 65 years old. I am anything but upper class. Yes, I've got the white and cis and cisgender (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. Right. But- I'm 65. I have had it all my life. Yes. But there's, I mean, anorexics rarely, rarely are the thin, skinny, barely visible people. They are people that look like most people and they've got anorexia. And then of course the bulimia, you can be anorexic and bulimic and have binge eating disorder all rolled into one. 
And these people are not going to look like they have an eating disorder at all. And you mentioned that you, you, nobody would have guessed you had any kind of eating disorder just by looking at you. And I'm afraid that's the case for most eating disorders. They don't know. I, I remember way back when I first went to one of my first treatment centers and I'm telling my therapist, no, I can't go. I'm too fat to go. I can't go. People will never believe that I have an eating disorder. They'll never believe I have anorexia. There's no way they're going to believe I have anorexia because I'm too fat for that. And there's a lot of body dysmorphia that was going on within my head, but still it's not even as a 50 year old, I thought all anorexics were just teenagers and skin and bones and and here I was 50 years old trying to deal with anorexia and I was like wait there's something wrong here but we do have the anorexia we do have the bulimia the bulimia is the people who binge on tons of food with no um concept of what they're doing and they're kind of in an outer space area where they just you know it, there's no presence there they're not eating they're just eating to eat and then they go and they make themselves get rid of it either by purging literally or by exercising. There's exercise bulimia, exercise purging. There's, you know, the detox teas and laxatives and all that, which is all part of bulimia, getting rid of the food that you've eaten, getting rid of it on purpose with via a not normal way. And then, like you said, the orthorexia, and that is usually based on eating the most healthy foods possible. You eat only the organic. You eat just the best fresh fruits and vegetables that you can get your hands on. And if it's labeled healthy, that's more what you're going to go for as opposed to just picking up a box fix and eating it. You're not likely to do that. So there's a lot of... Which just takes up so much of your mental energy too. Yeah. Like you're so... And I, I wanted to, I, I just Googled definitions of things too. And it's interesting because if you look up anorexia definition on Google, hmm. um, it says like lack or loss of appetite for food is a medical condition, emotional right. sort of characterized by an obsessive desire to lose weight by refusing to eat, which reading that, um, I actually probably am closer to anorexia than I am to orthorexia. Um, because I wasn't as much obsessed about the quality of the food. It was more so I'm not going to eat breakfast and dinner because I know I'm going to have a burger mm-hmm. <laughs> for dinner mm-hmm. or breakfast and lunch because I know I'm going to have a burger for dinner. Yeah. Or like it's even something now where I think a big thing – and I've never been in treatment, so I don't – this is coming from personal experience. But a huge aspect of healing for me was scheduling like when I was going to eat. Yes. So that I have an actual schedule and I'm holding myself accountable to like eating a breakfast. And I've noticed that like when I don't have a normal work schedule mm-hmm. or if I'm on the weekends, mm-hmm. I won't eat until 3 p.m. <sighs> and then I'm like, oh, okay. And part of that is I for a really long time and honestly still, it's still, I don't think a lot of this goes away, but for a really long time, I kind of got off on the feeling of like feeling empty oh, stomach yes. and like shaky and lightheaded. And like my vision was a little bit disrupted. I like liked that feeling because it felt, it felt like it, it was like what I thought skinny felt like. Right. Right. <laughs> and so I loved that feeling. Um, and I would like comp and I think people, it, it, specifically the upper class white teenager gossip girl did a 
did a number on, I think, a lot of us, which at least they acknowledged it because one of the main characters acknowledged that she had an eating disorder and like had to go to treatment. But you kind of get this idea that like, oh, I'm just going to have like an iced coffee for breakfast and like, woohoo, like that's all I'm having. It's like this cute kind of like quirky thing. <laughs> um, but even like literally, so you, if you Google anorexia on, on, on Google, um, you know how that they have the people ask tab. It says people also ask, how do I know if I have anorexia? The signs and symptoms that are listed are if you're under 18 and your weight and height are being lower than expected for your age. If you're an adult having an unusually low BMI and then missing meals, which sure there's some validity to some of that. But once again, even the criteria are like, you you should not base criteria on a BMI, which has already been basically debunked by like every major health organization has said, please stop using this. (laughs) Like it's not helpful. Um, so even the fact that when you Google it, you get misinformation yes. is insane. Um, that's just like that I've never Googled it. So that just blows my mind in itself that, that even even just like the top answer is literally based on misinformation. The DSM, that the, the diagnostic criteria for psychological people, they have adapted the diagnosis yeah. codes or diagnosis for anorexia to eliminate that. BMI portion because you can't because you just you can't use it anymore and they have changed that but the Google is not the DSM so yeah which another that's another like thing is with any mental disorder or any disorder check the DSM like Mm -hmm. the DSM 5 to be specific don't check the old DSMs because then you're going to get yourself in trouble Um, but like they, I mean, there's even mis- like there's even things in the DSM five right now that are not necessarily where some psychologists think it should be. Right. But I think it's definitely a better rule of thumb than a Google article. But yeah, I think that um, I've seen more and more representation on social media mm-hmm. with orthorexia or with diet fixations and things like that, and even just clarifying, like we just said that anorexia isn't just, I'm not going to eat for two weeks. Right. Because that's, that's not the case. You wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be, there wouldn't be people who have been anorexic for years. If all anorexia was, yeah. If all anorexia was, was I'm not going to eat for two weeks. Yes. You literally can't survive on that like long-term and you can't really survive on anorexia long-term in general, but you wouldn't be able to last 30, 40 years having anorexia, if that's what it was I like that, that doesn't exactly, that doesn't make any sense. But for some reason, like that's, that, that's just like how it's always kind of portrayed is like, you think of the little tiny, tiny, skinny, skinny, skinny girl where you can see all our bones and everyone in her life knows she's anorexic. That's right. She's normally like in a really rich family and her mom put these really high expectations on her and now she doesn't eat. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> it's of just course. like, and it's always in New York. <laughs> it's, no, it's always a New Yorker or California. It's always mm-hmm. LA or New York. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not realistic. And no. to kind of close us out here, we've talked a little bit about how you can heal. What is your like number one advice or, you know, top, like 
little tiers of advice for people who are either in recovery or are kind of starting that journey. I know obviously like getting professional help is like a huge aspect of that, but just kind of in your day-to-day life, like what would you suggest to try to help people even in their ongoing recovery process? Cause I don't really think it ever ends. You're constantly having to fight off those intrusive thoughts. So what's your advice for that? Well, first obviously is to get the professional help. If you think, if you think you're sick, you probably are because those who are healthy don't think they're sick. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't want to say normal people, but most people don't go around going, well, maybe I'm sick enough or maybe I'm not sick enough. Am I sick enough to have an eating disorder? If you're thinking that, you probably do. And there's so much nuance between an eating disorder and disordered eating because society goes for disordered eating. We already uh, uh, you know, push it. Intermittent fasting is disordered eating of, uh, you know, um yeah, oh. fasting messed me up as a kid. <laughs> yes, yes, it is like disordered. real bad. It is not normal to go any period of time without eating. But anyway, you, the first thing would be to get professional help. If you think you've got a problem, you probably do, and get professional help. There's a lot of people out there, and I will give um, you the the links for people to find professionals, and they can always ask me. They can get onto my page and. Send me a DM and I will find somebody for you, you know, if you need to. And I've got worldwide connections. So um, that's the first thing. Get the professional help that you need. A therapist, a dietitian, uh, a psychiatrist usually. But if you have to choose, stick with a dietitian. I mean, your therapy will help you process why you're doing things, but a dietitian will help you figure out how to eat and eat properly. And then the next, the next, if you're in recovery and you are working with a team, the biggest piece of advice that I ever got that really helped me was trust your team. These people that you're working with don't want bad things for you. They do not want to hurt you. They only want to help you. They are not in it to make you get sicker, to give you this mental anguish also it will. Um, but you know, they're not that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to make you well and give you a normal relationship with food and with your body and exercise. So you trust your team. The other thing is to get a lot of accountability with you. You know, ask who you could who could support you. Is is your family supportive? If not, find some friends who are supportive. If your friends are not supportive, then reach out to a support group online. There's a lot of them. There are a lot of support groups online that you can jump into. And especially now with everything being virtual, there are yeah. there are support groups going on 24 hours a day. You know, so if you need that, and then find find yourself like one person who could be your confidant and your accountability partner, somebody that you can go to and say, hmm, I missed lunch today. Or I'm having these thoughts. I don't want to do lunch today or I need to go run. And, you know, somebody that you can trust to kind of pull you off of that track. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is clean up your social media. Get get 
positive accounts. Show show what you're worth. See what you're worth. You are you are worth everything in the world. You are not nobody. <laughs> you are you are worth it. You are enough. You are a person worth respect. No matter what size you are, you deserve the respect that anybody should give you. You no matter what. And yeah. So my big thing is the professional and the other is trusting them. And if yeah. you, if, if nothing else, reach out to me if you can't find anybody else. Yeah. I'll find you somebody. Yeah. And I will also tag some kind of body positive accounts mm-hmm. to kind of replace some right. of those accounts that you may remove from your, your social media. Um, mm-hmm. That was a big thing for me was I – had so much internalized fat phobia that fat, like fatness scared me. Mm-hmm. It like really scared me because it was something that I was like fighting so hard to, to not be. And so following people who are fat and are very open yes. with their fatness and proud of it. And then mm-hmm. even following people who, um, I follow one account that is pretty popular, I think in, in the world of in body positivity, quote unquote, um, the bird's papaya yes. is like quite it's a wonderful. popular account and it's, it's so, especially for, for moms to be able mm-hmm. to see someone who is so incredibly open with how their body looks after birthing. She's a, she just had her fourth child. Right. Um, and showing stretch marks and showing, um, what your, what your boobs and your butt are, might look like yes. after childbirth. And so there's just like, for me, it wasn't, I'm, I'm not a mom, but for me, like being exposed to that right. and seeing it mm-hmm. and having it on my feed when I'm mindlessly scrolling, right. just scrolling past a body that mm-hmm. isn't a stick skinny body slowly started to help me kind of be like, I, I'm not flinching at that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't see it and flinch. And that was something that I had to do with, uh, I, honestly, any of the like phobias. <laughs> yes. Like, I had really internalized homophobia. And so I tried to follow as many queer people as possible to try to just be exposed to queerness because I grew up in such a conservative environment that I wasn't exposed to it. Sure. And following trans individuals so that it wasn't something that just like was so out of my circle. Right. And I think that that's honestly how you undo a lot of learning (laughs) is just like slowly making it normalized in your personal brain and in your little online community. Um, so I will definitely post some people there. And um, once again, I will uh, center black voices in that because yes, it was absolutely. their movement to start off with. Right. It was not ours. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do want to say one thing, <laughs> one thing I want to say is, is that until I addressed my internal fat phobia, I never got to recovery. I was so afraid of being fat. And I remember being handed the book Health at Every Size from my very first therapist at my last treatment center. And I handed it back to her and said, no, I can't read this. It's triggering because it meant I had to accept a fat body. Well, now I preached the book and I had to address my internal fat phobia to get to full recovery. And I think that's where a lot of people have to start. Yeah. And I, I'm so not there yet. Like it, that's something that I am very much so still working on. And that's part of why I kind of just started with like exposure because right. it was like, I just need to see bodies that are not these skinny bodies that I wanted to attain for right. so long because I, I need to see that 
you can be happy and fulfilled and uh, love your life without being skinny. Like I just needed to like be exposed to that. And it's still something where like, I I mean, I've only been working on this for maybe a year Mm -hmm. and it honestly only started to surface. I started dating someone and luckily he was uh, aware enough and like, honestly, like more emotionally intelligent than I was that he was able to kind of say, Hey, like, have you eaten? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. And so I slowly started to have someone kind of this outside perspective be like, hey, I don't think that this is good. Right. Like there's something in in the fact – and it was just from him dating me, like him seeing that I would not eat until 4 p.m. And he was like, yeah, so that's like not a normal thing to be doing. And like right. that's not – that's not just like a quirk, like a cute little like, hee hee, like I don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, that's not how that works. And so it's only been like honestly a little under a year for me, like working through things. And so um, I, I, it's something that is super fresh for me still. But like the more that I talk about it and the more that I try to even just acknowledge things and be honest about it and mm-hmm. not try to kind of hide it under this, oh, it's just a quirk. Like I'm just quirky. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just be really real about the fact that, yeah, no, like it's, 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 I, I have an eating disorder and I'm still very much so processing through it and like right. healing through it. And yeah. we're kind of still in, in the, in the, like down in the dirt, you know? Um, but with that being said, like, you know, anyone who listens knows that the, you guys can DM me at any time, but, um, I don't have a lot of experience in it in the sense of like, I'm still very much so in the healing process, but I know a lot of people who are also just starting that are my age that are just starting to realize sure. that they have these issues. Um, and then like Debbie just said, you can contact her. And um, this actually is a great time for you to kind of plug anything that you have to plug and your social media where people can contact you. Well, of course, they contact my DMs are always open either on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. The Instagram is diets underscore don't underscore work underscore haze, H-E-H-A-E-S for health at every size. And that's the Instagram account. And then on Facebook, it's just diets don't work. It's a page and it's diets don't work. You can find it there. And um, I have a diets don't work Twitter. Don't use it very much, but it's at Deb Lesko to find me there. But you can always message me on any any of the platforms, Instagram, Twitter. um, uh, What else do I say? Facebook. So you can DM me anytime. And I will respond. I mean, I may have 75,000 followers, but I will respond to a direct message. I do. Every single one of them. So um, please get in touch with me and uh, I will find you the best of the best for you or whatever it is that you need. Yeah. Well, I love that, first of all. And thank you for being so intentional about that. And so... uh, purpose-driven and trying to be there for people because I think so often you don't feel like you have anyone in your corner in this type of a battle. And that's, I think where a lot of the trouble starts. Right. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, we'll post some resources and I'll post some body positive accounts. Um, and we'll also, uh, tag, uh, the Seattle by POC organic food. That would be great. I'd love to take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, I mean, I know a lot of my listeners are in the Washington area or in the Seattle Tacoma area. Um, 
and I'll post, I believe they have either a cash app or a Venmo and I'll, I'll try to post somewhere where you can help fund them as well. Because from, from my understanding, it's almost entirely just funded by the public. I don't, I don't know if they have gotten their like nonprofit, Mm -hmm. um, like accreditation or license or whatever yet. I think the last time I spoke to them, they hadn't. Um, but yeah, so I can kind of post that as well because I, I, I know that they're like, you know, firsthand, like gardening full nine yards, like yeah. very much so like hands-on. Um, and it's also run by a black individual. And so it's all, you're also supporting, uh, a black ran business, which is also fantastic. And it's also specifically aimed to support the bio POC community, which is once again, mm-hmm. great, especially with the, I don't know how intense the food deserts are in Seattle, but I know that we also do have a pretty drastic, uh, like you're either, it's either like there's pretty drastic, either low income or you're like very high income. (laughs) And so it's kind of one or the other. Um, but yeah, so I will post all of that. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I think that your lens is one that is unique and is really never represented in the media and it's so helpful. And I think also from people my age, it's always helpful when there is someone older that may be more towards our mom's age who kind of is speaking things that maybe we didn't get to hear. Um, I I think that there's something so healing in that. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I even, I had a sex educator on, um, Lori Mintz who same thing. I was like, you're the social media, like sex positive mom. (laughs) That's right. Um, it's so helpful. It's really so helpful. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was very, very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, well that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. And I'm going to add this one in for this week. You deserve to eat. We will see you next week.